Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And now for today's environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, September 9th. I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. The path of Hurricane Ida has left destruction to many pipelines and cables in the Gulf of Mexico. For example, a substantial oil spill has been found off of Louisiana's coast, in which three pipelines are leaking. Talos Energy has been diving in the area of the pipeline in order to stop the leaking, but does not take responsibility for the spill. Luckily, the rate of oil reaching the surface has slowed down over the weekend. The Coast Guard has begun monitoring the situation and assessing the environmental impacts of the spill. A recent study through the Indy Star has sought to understand how much of the U.S. carbon emissions are coming from Indiana. According to the research, 290 million metric tons of energy-related carbon dioxide was released into the atmosphere in Indiana in 2018, which places the state as the eighth most polluting state in the country. Indiana is also more reliant on coal than other areas of the country. In both 2019 and 2020, more coal was consumed in Indiana than all but two other states. At the current moment, there is no movement at the state level to move away from fossil fuels. The study emphasizes reducing fossil fuel consumption as being the main solution to the pollution. The recent United Nations climate report indicates the degree of urgencies needed to address carbon emissions. Opposition has been growing against the proposed pipeline connecting Kentucky to new gas-fired electrical generators in Posey County, Indiana. Environmental organizations have cited the environmental impacts to parts of Indiana and Kentucky that could be greatly affected by the pollution and construction of the pipeline. Similarly, the increase in emissions from electrical generators could further harm air quality in the state. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources has warned that the pipeline would hurt many animal and plant species, including those on the endangered species list. Centerpoint Energy, the company behind the project, is still waiting approval from the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission to begin construction. That's all for your environmental news brief for WFHP. I'm Nathaniel Weinsapfel. In today's feature report, IER reporter Enrique Sands talks about the Texas gas pipeline to Evansville crossing under the Ohio River. That's later in the program. And now for our environmental headline stories. The Observer, the student newspaper at Notre Dame, 
reports the university has pledged to become a carbon neutral campus by 2050, University President Friar John Jenkins announced last Friday. The announcement came during Jenkins's opening remarks for the first keynote event of this year's annual Notre Dame Forum, Care for Our Common Home, Just Transition to a Sustainable Future. On the path to full carbon neutrality, Notre Dame also plans to achieve a 65% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030, compared to a baseline year of 2005, Jenkins said. These announcements mark a continuation of the university's recent efforts toward a more sustainable campus, the most recent being the elimination of coal usage in 2019, motivated by Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical Laudato Si. Achieving these goals, Jenkins explained, will require a long re-evaluation process as well as many improvements in campus infrastructure including an expanded use of geothermal wells, a shift to green fuels within boilers, and an increased utilization of solar power as an energy source. The university will also employ emerging sustainable technologies as they become available. Due to past energy efficiency initiatives, the university has already exceeded its 2010 goal of achieving a 50% reduction in carbon emissions per gross square foot by 2030. Led by Assistant Vice President for Utilities and Maintenance, Paul Kempf and his team, decarbonization efforts have included the construction of the largest green roof in Indiana, reductions in food waste and large-scale installations of solar geothermal, and hydroelectric energy sources. Indy Star reports that an Indiana University scientist will lead an ambitious effort to determine the effect toxic chemicals have on an indigenous community in Alaska, research that might shed light more broadly on how contamination harms health and degrades the environment. Amina Salamova was riding in the car with her husband when she received the email stating that she and her colleagues had received a nearly $3 million grant to spend five years studying exposure to toxic contaminants on St. Lawrence Island in Alaska. The grant, provided by the National Institute of Health, will allow the researchers to investigate the exposure of the islanders who use the contaminated lands for hunting. Researchers hope the effort will determine ways to restore the island for the use of the native population and influence interventions to help reduce or altogether prevent exposure. It may also help Salamova understand the impacts of contamination in Indiana, she said. In the 1970s and 1980s, debris, contaminants, solvents, and other toxic chemicals were found on the St. Lawrence Island in Alaska, an island once home to two military bases used for surveillance during the Cold War. The project will focus on studying the extent of exposure to PCBs and other chemical contaminants on the island and identify how people are being exposed, whether through water, air, or foods. An environmental chemist by training, Salamova uses chemistry to measure environmental contaminants and study the effects of that contamination. In Alaska, her team will investigate specific health endpoints and health outcomes in the Yupik people to see if certain levels of exposure are associated with disruptions in the endocrine systems and metabolic syndromes, which can lead to diseases such as obesity, diabetes, 
thyroid disorders, as well as reproductive system issues. In 2020, the Trump administration endorsed spending millions of dollars on creating a uranium stockpile, known as a strategic uranium reserve, to boost domestic mining after years of industry lobbying. Now, Biden's Department of Energy is following through on that proposal, even though it conflicts with the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council's recommendations to do no harm to frontline communities. The federal government knows about the toxic dangers of uranium mining, yet it's encouraging more mining and placing many frontline indigenous communities in places like the Grand Canyon, Bears Ears, and Black Hills at risk from uranium contamination. The toxic legacy of uranium mining from the Cold War era continues to haunt communities throughout the American West. Hundreds of mines were dug, especially on indigenous lands. Many of the miners themselves were such tribes as the Navajo, and few were given sufficient protection or warnings about the toxins they blasted out of the rock and inhaled and brought into their homes after work. Today, water level Water wells in those areas contain hazardous levels of uranium beyond the federal limit considered safe for drinking water. High levels of uranium persist in the soil and are linked to health problems from autoimmune diseases to reproductive difficulties to lung and bone cancer. Millions of federal dollars have yet to be millions of federal dollars have yet to make a dent in implementing adequate cleanup plans for indigenous communities. So it's concerning that the government is attempting to revive a polluting industry with even more tax dollars and putting even more indigenous communities at risk of more contamination. Harvard University, the world's wealthiest institution of higher learning, has finally divested from fossil fuels. Specifically, the university no longer has any direct investments in fossil fuel companies, and it will permit its indirect investments through private equity funds to lapse. The announcement follows a decade of energetic, persistent campaigning by student divestment activists. The Harvard administration was not to be moved for all those years, even as Cambridge and Oxford universities divested. The University of California system divested, even the Queen of England and the Pope divested. However, generations of students, faculty, and alumni refused to give up, and finally, the university capitulated. As environmentalist Bill McKibben, a Harvard alumnus, observed, quote, it's simply no longer possible to pretend you can keep going with business as usual. Harvard students of the future are the Greta Thunberg generation. They just won't allow the both sidesing of the greatest question of their lives, end quote. Conservation groups who responded were disappointed with the Biden administration's long-awaited new rule for protecting the endangered North Atlantic right whales from Maine to Florida, citing that they want more decisive action from the government to protect the whales. The government predicts that there are less than 370 North Atlantic whales left in the world, and fewer every year due to human-caused risks like becoming entangled in fishing gear. The National Marine Fisheries Service has a revised a plan. This plan is limited in scope and focuses on reducing death and injury to white right whales, fin whales, and humpback whales, especially near commercial lobstering areas. But ag- advocates say the rule doesn't do enough to address other factors like ship strikes that also kill whales. 
The plan also does not address the inadequate feed now available to right whales. Conservation groups believe that more aggressive action is needed to protect the whales and help their numbers rebound. The state of California is teaming with conservation groups, biologists, and scores of citizen scientists to rescue the western monarch butterfly from the brink of extinction. The population has sharply declined from 4.5 million in the 1980s, dropping to nearly 200,000 in recent decades before taking a precipitous dive in 2018. That year, the population fell to nearly 30,000, and when volunteers counted again in 2021, it had dropped to fewer than 2,000, representing a 99% collapse in the last three decades. Horrified conservationists are scrambling to plant 30,000 of the native milkweed plants, which are crucial to the butterflies. Monarch caterpillars are entirely dependent on milkweed for two weeks of their life cycle, munching through about 30 leaves before they transform into jade green chrysalises to eventually emerge as butterflies. The state is providing $1.3 million for the restoration group River Partners to restore 595 acres of monarch habitat along rivers and streams in California, while biologists enlist the help of gardeners, nurseries, and backyard scientists to do their own plantings and help catalog monarch sightings. While it is not completely known why the monarch population has collapsed so suddenly, scientists have speculated that the species might be suffering a death by a thousand cuts. Increased use of herbicides has also reduced the amount of milkweed available for monarchs to lay their eggs. The emerging caterpillars feast on the poisonous milkweed, which is what gives them their bright colors of adulthood and makes them poisonous to predators. In addition, insecticides used in agriculture may be harmful to the monarchs themselves in ways scientists are still struggling to understand. A 2020 study by the Xerces Society and the University of Nevada, Reno, studied various samples of milkweed from around the Central Valley and found an average of nine different pesticides on each plant. The species may also be facing threats from global heating. Scientists have found they are emerging from their wintering sites earlier in the spring, yet the milkweed they need to survive their migrations may not be blooming yet. The vast fires and unusual freezes that have accompanied the climate crisis may also be affecting their life cycles. Two new studies carry serious warnings about deaths from air pollution. The first, published in the BMJ Journal, concluded that long-term exposure to air pollution is associated with higher levels of illness and death, even when the pollution levels are well below legal limits set by the EPA, European Union, and World Health Organization. Both acute and long-term exposure to high levels of common outdoor air pollutants, including black carbon, nitrogen dioxide, and particulate matter, are linked to a higher risk of respiratory and heart disease, cancer, mental illness, and premature death. The second study concluded that air pollution is shortening the lives of billions of people by up to six years. Air pollution is killing far more people than smoking, alcohol, and narcotics unsafe water and sanitation, car accidents, HIV AIDS, malaria or war and terrorism. Coal burning, coal burning is primarily responsible. According to Michael Greenstone and colleagues at the University of Chicago, the average global citizen loses 2.2 years of life because of the current levels of air pollution. 
That adds up to a total of 17 billion lost years. According to The Guardian, quote, botanists describe trees as the backbone of the natural ecosystem, end quote. However, a third to a half of the world's wild tree species are at risk of extinction, threatening the existence of the wider ecosystem. That's the conclusion of the State of the World's Trees Report, which was issued recently along with a call for urgent action to reverse the trend. The international study, which took five years to complete, found that over 17,000 tree species are threatened. That's twice the number of threatened mammals, birds, amphibians, and reptiles combined. The paramount cause of the decline is forest clearance for agriculture. Other causes, in decreasing order of importance, are logging, livestock farming, residential and commercial development, fire and fire suppression, energy production and mining, wood and pulp plantations, invasive species, and climate change. Madagascar had the most threatened tree species with Brazil in second place. Tropical island countries are affected disproportionately. In North America, pests and diseases are causing severe decreases in ash trees. Though only 0.2% of tree species have become extinct so far, an accelerating decline could have ripple effects. For humans, the loss of trees means the loss of carbon sequestration, oxygen production, timber for construction, fuel for fires, ingredients for food and medicine, buffer from storms, and the shade and beauty trees provide. Without trees, other plants, insects, birds, and mammals struggle to survive. And now for our feature, IER reporter Enrique Sanz talks about the Texas gas pipeline to Evansville crossing under the Ohio River. The times they are changing and the climate is a changing too. The world is getting hotter, half the country's on fire and facing a drought. In short, things kind of suck, but somehow, Indiana has had it sort of easy compared to the western U.S. That's despite the state being a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions, the cause of climate change. We're eighth in the nation as of 2018. But there's a battle going on right now over the state's energy future. Should the state continue its love affair with fossil fuels, or should it become the new home of renewable energy sources? A Kentucky-based company has picked a side and is seeking approval from federal authorities to build a natural gas pipeline under the Ohio River to bring out-of-state fuel to non-existent power plants. Basically, the company wants to build a pipeline to nowhere. Hoosiers and advocacy groups are worried about the pipeline's environmental effects and whether its approval could set back a transition to clean energy. Texas Gas Transmission LLC is asking FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, for approval to build a 24-mile pipeline. That would connect two proposed natural gas-fired power plants at the A.B. Brown Generating Station in Posey County to a network of interstate natural gas pipelines. The company is asking FERC to approve the project, which would extend from Robards, Kentucky to Evansville here in Indiana via an underwater crossing under the Ohio River. And it wants to do that without performing an environmental impact statement. Texas Gas said the project would facilitate a substantial net reduction in overall greenhouse gas emissions, the heat-trapping gases responsible for man-made climate change. The company said it would cut down on methane, nitrogen oxides, and carbon monoxide emissions from the retirement 
and standby of existing units in their systems and indirect downstream greenhouse gases from the replacement of coal-fired generating facilities at the A.B. Brown plant. Again, the natural gas units at the A.B. Brown plant have not been built or even approved. That decision is still under consideration by the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, which acts like FERC, but at the state level. Centerpoint Energy, formerly known as Vectrin, wants to replace two coal-fired electric generating units it is retiring at the A.B. Brown plant. The possibility remains that the commission may ultimately deny the petition. Groups like Citizens Action Coalition oppose both the natural gas turbines and the pipeline. This is the coalition's executive director, Kerwin Olson. You know, we, we object to the notion of expanding uh, the marketplace for fossil fuels in our state. We're, if we are serious about transitioning to a clean energy future that, uh, that does not rely on fossil fuels, then why would we even consider, you know, building, uh, expanding the infrastructure to deliver fossil fuels to our state? That seems counterintuitive to uh, the ultimate goal of achieving 100% clean energy. Olson said the projects could actually increase the amount of greenhouse gases emitted into the atmosphere instead of reducing it, despite both companies' claims. The emissions we should look at are the emissions that are coming from the plant, uh, inside the fence, if you will, the footprint of that plant and nothing else. And so we, we disagree with that notion and always have and say, well, we should look at both downstream and upstream emissions because what we're talking about is gas that is going to be extracted, you know, in Texas and in Arkansas, uh, delivered by a pipeline all the way to uh, southern Indiana through a power plant. So the emissions of that entire life cycle of that fuel should be a consideration. The emissions related to uh, the drilling and the extraction, the emissions related to uh, the transportation and the delivery, in addition to the emissions related to the combustion. Natural gas is mostly made up of methane, a potent greenhouse gas dozens of times more potent at trapping heat in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. The EPA estimates that methane accounts for 10% of all greenhouse gases emitted in the U.S. Natural gas and oil systems make up 30% of all methane emissions, and that may be undercounted. The EPA does not measure methane emissions from the oil and gas industry directly. Instead, its estimates are based on the processes used to extract and transport the fossil fuels and what equipment is used. According to some researchers, the EPA is undercounting the gas industry's methane emissions by at least 22% and the oil industries by 35% every year. The project could also affect Hoosier health and the environment directly. Evansville residents have written to FERC urging them to require an environmental impact assessment for the Texas gas project to see exactly what that could be. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recommended that Texas Gas assess the potential impact of the project on 15 endangered and threatened species. The agency said the company should also determine the project's effect on bald eagles and migratory birds. This is an important case on many, many levels, not just with respect to uh, sort of center point uh, and center point customers and utility bills, but this this conversation is, really gets at the heart of uh you know, the, the, the whole clean energy transition conversation and, um, you know, the, the, the current ongoing battle, if you will, between renewable resources and natural gas, um, you know, and which direction that we're going to go. There are a lot of people that say, you know, natural gas is a bridge fuel, um, but, you know, if it's a bridge to nowhere, then it's just the status quo. And so, you know, the construction of new gas plants that are designed the last 30 to 50 years uh, is certainly not a 
not a bridge to the future in our eyes. You know, solar, wind, uh, energy efficiency right now are the cheapest resources, cleanest resources available. FERC is currently accepting public comments on the proposed Texas gas pipeline until August 30th. The hearing on Centerpoint Energy's petition to build the natural gas units is scheduled for December 9th. You can check out our website, indianaenvironmentalreporter.org, for those details. For Eco Report, I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And I'm Juliana Daly. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Take a Bald Eagle Hacking Tower hike at the North Fork Service Area at Monroe Lake on Friday, September 17th from 10 to 11.30 a.m. An important part of Monroe Lake's history is the Indiana Bald Eagle Reintroduction Program. The hike will allow you to see remnants of the Hacking Tower where the eagles were raised and the Observation Tower. Sign up at http colon slash slash bit dot ly slash hack hike dash SEP 17 dash 2021. Come to the Bird Fest at the Switchyard Park on Saturday, September 18th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. The Sassafras Audubon Society is co-hosting this event with Bloomington Parks and Recreation. Enjoy an interactive education celebration of bird biology, ecology, and conservation with hands-on activities, bird walks, speakers, live birds, and much more. Enjoy a tree ID hike at Brown County State Park on Monday, September 20th from 11 a.m. to noon. Do you know what kind of trees are grown in Brown County? Can you identify them? Learn how to ID Indiana's common trees and more on this naturalist-led hike. The trail is one-half mile long and is listed as moderate. Usher in the autumn equinox on this autumn equinox hike at Spring Mill State Park on Wednesday, September the 22nd from 11 a.m. to noon. Plan to meet in front of the Lakeview Activity Center to hike on rugged Trail 5 and experience the first day of autumn. Journey through the woods for a night hike at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, September 25th from 9 to 10 p.m. Meet naturalist Sarah at the Deer Run Shelter to learn about bats and other nocturnal animals while enjoying the sights, sounds, and smells of the woods at night. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, 
a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by Indiana environmental reporters Enrique Sands. David Lyman assembled the script and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan had edited it. Myself, Juliana Daly, compiled our events calendar and Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.